Well, good morning, church. Uh, I want to start before I get uh, into the text and all that stuff by saying, um, I don't know if you've read the churchwide email yet from, from yesterday, um, but uh, my email seems to get hacked a lot. And so, trust me, I'm never going to ask you for money unless I actually ask you for money. <laughs> and so uh, I would never uh, do that through through the email, and um, it's so weird. Uh, I don't have any Nigerian princes in my family or uh, any anything like that that I know of. So you never know, but I don't think I do. So, um, yeah. Um, what a time to be alive. So I want to talk to you today about Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 11 through uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 8. We started this week, uh, last week by looking at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes, and his uh, winter palace there in uh, uh, Persia. Uh, and uh, word comes to Nehemiah that the people of God in Jerusalem are in trouble, uh, the gates of the city have been burned, the walls are in disrepair. So something happened in the 13 years between the end of Ezra and where uh, Nehemiah picks up. So that's uh, kind of a, uh, uh, that's, that's where the story picks up. And so I want you to think about something about Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah reminds me of a lot of the people in this congregation. Uh, he is a man in full in the sense that he is... At the top of his career, uh, at the center of power, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Hamilton, he is in the room, right? He's there in the middle of that, you know, uh, cupbearer to the king, uh, right, right, you know, the very center of, of all the political power, all the things that are going on. And the world, Nehemiah is right there. And just think about it for a second. You know, he's cupbearer for the king, so he makes sure that the king's food and his drink is safe. He's in there with him. Uh, just think about that for a second, because Nehemiah is a Jew, uh, and Artaxerxes, the, the, the emperor, uh, obviously is Persian. And yet, uh, Artaxerxes trusts this Jewish guy to not poison him, Right? And so I think it's a, he is a, that says a lot about his character, says a lot about who he is. And Nehemiah is in a line of folks, right, from uh, Joseph, who uh, uh, goes and serves uh, Pharaoh, right? Uh, from uh, Daniel, who goes and serves in the uh, Babylonian uh, uh, um, uh, capital, right? And now, Here's Nehemiah right there in the, the center of uh, power there in, uh, in the Persian Empire. And so word comes to him, Jerusalem's in trouble. And so he prays for several months. Uh, and then we pick up here um, at the end of his prayer uh, in verse 11 of chapter 1. Uh, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? 
This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So what a, what a great picture. Here's Nehemiah at the peak of his career uh, asking to stop what he's doing, to move out of the center of power, to go back to Jerusalem where his people and indeed the, the people of God and the cause of God in many ways uh, is in, in crisis. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look a little bit at his prayer uh, again. We're going to look a little bit at what happens in his interaction with the king and how Nehemiah responds uh, to this and how he thinks about what it is uh, that God's doing. Um, it's interesting, right? He concludes his prayer by saying, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. That's Notice that. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Do you realize Nehemiah said that prayer to God? Give me uh, uh, success today, 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 today for four months. Because there's a four-month time lag between the time when Hanani, his brother, comes and tells him they're in trouble. We read that Nehemiah prays that great prayer, confessing the sins of his people. And then he knows he's got to do something about it, got to go back to Jerusalem. And so he asks God repeatedly, repeatedly, day after day, for uh, about four, almost five months, uh, to say, give me favor today. Give me success to your servant today. Give him mercy and the sight of this man. So that's a profound thing for us. As some of you asked last week, you know, how long do you pray for something, right? Well, not only was Nehemiah praying that, that God would move in the heart of the king, but he's praying, Is, today's the day, Lord. Today's the day, Lord. Today's the day. Give me favor today, right? And he repeats that, you know, for a, a three to four month period. Uh, because he knows that God has to do something, right? Now, one of the questions that comes up is, how long do you pray about something? Well, you, you, I think you, as I said last week, I think you keep praying because what's, what's happening here is something bigger than, than even what Nehemiah knows, right? Maybe, just maybe, that's a little bit of speculation, but bear with me in this that those three to four months where Nehemiah goes to God every morning before he goes into the service of the king and he says, give me success today. 
Maybe God is doing something bigger than just getting Nehemiah to Jerusalem. Perhaps he's doing something in Nehemiah. Maybe there's some character development or some grace that needs to be deepened in his heart and life. Maybe there's some mercy, some some development of patience, right, within Nehemiah that God must do to prepare him to be the leader that he's going to need to be when he gets to Jerusalem. I, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, but what I do know is that God is good. And as, as Nehemiah says, that the hand of my God, the good hand of my God was upon me. So he recognizes that through all of this process, this three to four month period where he prays, today is the day, Lord, give me favor, uh, that God is at work. Even on all those days when he didn't ask, when he was not able to say to the king, right? But every day. God's at work in him and is even using the days when it appears like nothing is happening uh, for uh, his purpose in him. The fact of the matter is, most of your life, even your life in full, you're at the top of your career, is not a mountaintop to mountaintop experience, right? Most of your days, most of your life is spent like the day you say, give me success today that this might happen and it doesn't happen. Most of our lives are spent in asking God to do things and waiting for him to act on our behalf. There's some mystery in that. I don't know what all the reasons for that are. But just because we wait and just because Nehemiah said today, Lord, let today be the day. For three or four months, um, the, the fact is God did something in Nehemiah through him. The timing, God's never late. He's always on time. And so he was doing something probably in Nehemiah's character uh, to change him and to develop him into the kind of leader that he wanted him to be. So it's mysterious, but Nehemiah is our friend, right? Here's a guy who goes... Uh, to God and says, just like we do, Lord, today, make it today, right? Give me relief. Give me a job today. Give me favor today. Uh, give me uh, someone who will love me today, right? The second thing to note about this is, is that he says, you know, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, if Artaxerxes heard that prayer, he would not like that. Because Artaxerxes thought of himself as not a man, certainly not a mere man. He thought of himself as a god. He thought, you know, he's the most powerful man in the world, right? He thinks, you know, and but but Nehemiah understands that the power of Artaxerxes, though it is it is great, right? And it will cause Nehemiah to be afraid. He's just a man, just a man. And just as Jesus said to us, right, Nehemiah comes to grips with the fact that God is bigger than any man. Jesus is bigger than any man. And only this this man can only do to him what a man can do. Now, that's not, uh, uh, you know, that, that that's not to say that people don't cause trouble and pain. Powerful people don't do that. But in the end, he is only a man. Right. And so. So as Nehemiah goes to him to address him, he recognizes that uh, uh, he needs grace from God. He needs mercy from God. But he's dealing here with just a man, not another God. 
right? So that's that's a good you know kind of challenge to us when we struggle with people who are in authority over us that seem bigger than than uh, uh, than they ought to be. They're only people, right? Uh, and that's uh, uh, that's all they are. Um, you know, people laugh about saying you know that when you're intimidated by somebody else, try to envision them naked, right? Because that's supposed to help you, like, think of them. I, you know, that doesn't help me. I, I have other ways that I think of them to help me minimize them. But uh, pe- people are just people. And they can sin greatly against us. Uh, but God gets the final word, right? So I think that tempers Nehemiah's uh, fear a little bit uh, in this. And so after three or four months, he's in there and he's serving and the king looks at him and the king sees that he's sad, right? And, and why does he react, right? He says, he says to him that the king looks at him and says, uh, um, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, right? Well, part, part of the reason for that is you don't want to be sad in front of the king. Because the king only wants to hear good news, right? The king, the king is not, and, and plus, the king is not there the way, you know, we think of kings as, uh, good kings as being sympathetic and interested in our problems, right? King Jesus certainly is. But this earthly king, he's not really interested in a servant's problem. The king's only interest, this earthly kings typically are only interested in their problems. And they're only interested in your problems insofar as it helps them solve their problems, right? So, so the fact is to be sad in front of the king is like, he didn't have time for that. He's not going to bother with you and it irritates him, right? You don't want to irritate the king. So when the king says to him, wow, you're sad. What's wrong with you? You're not sick. So what is it? And that's why he says, I was very much afraid, right? But in that moment, as he's afraid, God gives him the courage to tell the truth. Why shouldn't I be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, that, you know, my ancestral home lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, well, what are you asking me? Right. And we read when when he says that, he's like, what does he what does he do? He prays. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Right. Not unlike what you do. I hope you do. When somebody cuts you off on I-95, hope you pray. Lord, help me. Uh, uh, before you deal with a hard or difficult conversation with somebody, Lord, help me. Uh, when you get put on the spot and you don't know what's going to happen next, Lord, help me. Uh, I, 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 you know, um, people people talk about how that's you know you don't want to you don't want that to be the content of your prayer life and i'm i'm certain that that's true you know it would be better if you were more disciplined in your prayer uh but the fact of the matter is uh Nehemiah has been praying about this he has been eagerly saying today's the day and then when he gets to that day he's afraid right because he realizes that he's going to take a big risk and in that moment, he's like, God, you know, I prayed to the God of heaven, help me, give me favor in the eyes of this man uh, who could kill me, who could torture me, who could kill my family, you know, who could torture them. Um, and so a quick prayer born of fear, he turns and he prays. But now what's interesting about that is he prays and then he says to him, what I want you to do is I want you to send me back to Jerusalem. 
which is not such a, a, a dramatic uh, prayer request. Although, you know, typically, you know, uh, Artaxerxes has a cupbearer that he likes, that he trusts, that he knows is not going to allow him to be poisoned. And so for Nehemiah to say, I don't want this job, I want this job, that could be seen as a bit of a slight, as a bit of an insult, right? Uh, but but Nehemiah is very boldly in saying, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I need to go back to the place of my where my my ancestors are from and to help the cause of my people there because the city walls are in disrepair and the gates are in disrepair. So that's request number one. That's a fairly bold request, but not super, super bold, right? So he says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, well, how long will you be gone when you will return? So he tells him. So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. So you would think that he would stop there, but no. Nehemiah is on a roll. Hey, God's given me this, so I'm going to ask for more, right? So he says, uh, then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. So, Lord, not only do I want to be able to go, but I need letters from you so that I can get there, that I have some authority, that I am your man, and that people won't bother me on the way, right? So not only do I want to go, but I want to go with your blessing and with your protection. And then, and then he asked for a third thing, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the forest of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. King, not only do I want to be able to go back to Jerusalem, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to go with your safety, but I want you, king, to pay for the lumber to build the walls and the beams uh, for the uh, the gates and for the lumber for my own house. Right? So, king, I need you uh, not only to send me, but I need you to pay for and provide for me for the building project that I'm going to do and for my own home, right? So so he's asking a lot. You know, here's a guy who's gone from, I'm praying three to four to five months, uh, today, Lord, make it today, to now that he's got the king's ear and he senses the favor of God with him, what does he do? He asks boldly, Right? And God's hand is upon the king, and so he moves the king to allow him uh, to do this, right? So I, I want uh, I want us to draw a couple of conclusions from this uh, uh, this morning. So uh, the first thing is is this: what What if I were to ask you this morning, what is making you sad and distraught this morning? I mean, I can only imagine, right? Uh, uh, I have been stunned recently as I look on Sundays. This is a thing that I've done for years. I always look at the obituary pages on Sunday in the paper. Uh, and typically, you know, there's three or four pages of obituaries. Um, lately, there have been 10 pages. People are dying, not just from COVID, but I think a lot of folks are not seeking the medical care that they would normally seek. And as a result of that, people who are already sick of other things are dying. It's sad. Um, 
Maybe you're a high school or college senior and you thought this spring was going to be the spring of your life. After all, stupid people told you that this is the happiest time of your life. (laughs) And anybody who told you that, they are stupid because if this is the happiest time of your life, Oh, my goodness. Anyway, uh, enough said about that. But the, the fact is, it is hard. You wanted to go to prom. You wanted to pick up all those awards. You wanted to have uh, graduate. You wanted to have a party, a big party. Uh, uh, you wanted to celebrate and be recognized for your accomplishments. And now we're in a situation that's kind of off. Not kind of off, it's just off. How weird is it? I, I was asking somebody uh, Friday, what, what's your daughter going to do for graduation? She's going to drive a car around the speedway a lot, which I would like to do that. <laughs> I, I think that would be a lot of fun, but I, I think uh, that's probably not what you had in mind back uh, the Tuesday after Labor Day when you return to school for your senior year. And who knows what the freshman year is going to be like coming up. Or who knows if you're graduating from college what grad school or the job market is going to be like. So there's a lot to make us sad and distraught and a lot to grieve and a lot to lament. Um So one of the things that I have uh, been thinking about uh, lately uh, is a song that I I listened to, a Sandra McCracken song. Uh, We sing some of her music here in church. And there's a line in one of her songs called Fool's Gold, which is, is, is one of those songs that's deeply spiritual without ever mentioning the name of Jesus. But there's a there's a line in the in the song that says this, if it's not okay." then it's not the end, and this is not okay, so I know this is not the end. Let me say that again. If it's not okay, then it's not the end, and this is not okay, so I know this is not the end. Um, That's a good perspective for us to have in the midst of the fallenness and the brokenness and the grieving that we're doing right now, Uh, because it seems like this is all we got. Right. Um, But the fact of the matter is the promise of Jesus Christ to us and the promise of the gospel is uh, that God is about the business of renewing all things. And so the grief and the sadness that I legitimately feel about uh, death and loss and struggle and all of those things, those things are legitimate. Uh, But that's not all there is. And so I look forward to the day where uh, the Lord will take what is broken and broken down. The gates of my life that have been burned. The walls of my life that have been broken down. And he will send not Nehemiah to to rebuild that. But he's going to send Jesus to complete the work of redemption and recreation that Jesus began when he walked out of the tomb on Easter Sunday. And so I take comfort in the fact of saying this is not okay. And because it's not okay, it's not the end. 
And until I can say all of life, all of creation is better than okay, it's redeemed, renewed, restored, uh, that's the end. And so lean into that. I also want to say to you, you know, people, people act like, um, uh, and this is just a word of wisdom from an old man, so bear with me in this, uh, that we're in a, a, a unique time where there's never been a time like this. That's not true. Uh, there have been plenty of plagues, plenty of, of uh, pandemics, and plenty of weird seasons where graduations and weddings and funerals had to be postponed and delayed. My mom graduated from high school in 1948, and there were a lot of guys in her high school class who were 22 and 23 years old, because not because they were dumb and didn't weren't good students, uh, but because uh, they were veterans. And they dropped out of high school to go fight in World War II. And they didn't graduate with, with, with their classes, right? Because the war was kind of an interruption uh, to their plans, right? So the same thing, uh, the same thing is, is true for us. You know, this, this interruption uh, is horrible and it causes us uh, a lot of grief. But it's not super unusual, okay? Uh, I'm reading a book now about the 1918 uh, flu influenza uh, epidemic, and um, yeah, these things have happened as long as there's been sin in the world. And so they happen. One of the reasons, one of the mercies in them is they tell us this world is not okay when we're tempted to believe that it is. And so it causes us to yearn for that day where graduation, prom, the wedding of my dreams feels like that's what my life has been shooting for. When in actuality, what my life has been shooting for is the confirmation from my Savior where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into this eternal, beautiful and wonderful rest. Um, grieve it, lament it. And be glad that this is not all there is and that this is not the end. Secondly, uh, and this is a bit of a challenge, and I hesitated to, to bring this up today, but I, especially in light of the sadness and the difficulty that we're experiencing. But Nehemiah really challenges me in this. Um, and I, I just want to ask you a question. And this is a question I have thought a lot about this week, and that's this. Where in the world are the people and cause of Jesus Christ in disrepair? Where is it in the world right now that, that the cause of God, the cause of Christ, the church, his people, are in disrepair like they are there in Jerusalem and maybe even a shameful situation? And could it be that you need to feel the sadness and the grief of that, like Nehemiah did, are you the kind of person that when you hear about the suffering of the church or uh, the degradation of the church or the work of God somewhere, that it causes you grief, that it causes you to go to God and pray? But might it not only feel you the sadness to go to God and pray, but maybe, just maybe, at the top of your career, a man in full like Nehemiah 
you might become aware of the broken down walls of the church of Jesus Christ somewhere in the world. And, and Jesus might be tapping you on the shoulder to say, you know, I sent Nehemiah back to Jerusalem. He went to King Artaxerxes. He had a great career. You know what? You need to go. You need to go. You're the, you're, you're the, you have the unique gifts and abilities and uh, the grace of God is at work in you. Perhaps it's time for you to think about uh, uh, going where God might send you. Um, I just say that to you just as a, as an opportunity to, to think and to consider, uh, you know, it seems crazy that you would even think that, but I'm sure it seemed crazy to Nehemiah too, to see the broken down walls of the city of Jerusalem and decide that God might yet send him. And then lastly, you know, just look at the confidence that, that Nehemiah has that the good hand of God is upon him, right? The good hand of God was upon me, and that's why he he concludes this by being able to know that the Lord had turned the heart of the king. Um, I think, um, you know, the the question that we, we need to ask about that was, was the good hand of God not on him all those days and all those months he asked uh, and or he did that he asked God to 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 uh, give him favor um, was the hand of God not good was it not upon him then no it was upon him that whole time but here God is at uh, working and moving in this situation right to uh, give him the the confidence to speak his heart to the king. And then to get up and to go, right? So if you're in Christ today, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you have entrusted yourself to him, believing that he died for you, rose again for you, uh, you can be confident today that the good hand of uh, your God with a nail mark in it is upon you, leading, guiding, providing, uh, and uh, uh, reminding you that he is with you uh, and that he is for you, uh, even in the midst of a dark and uh, challenging time. So uh, in light of that, let me pray, uh, and then we'll um, uh, confess our sins. Let's, let's pray. Lord, um, I, I pray today for the people uh, among us who are just sad and broken today because uh, their dreams and their desires have been thwarted by this pandemic. I pray that you would... Um, Teach us to lament and to teach us to hope. I pray today, Jesus, that you would uh, help us to entrust ourselves uh, to you who, like Nehemiah, will come uh, to your people and restore what is broken and rebuild and recreate. Uh, would you give us hope and confidence in that today? And I pray, too, Lord, that you might uh, challenge some of us to think maybe just maybe uh, news of the uh, brokenness of the people of God somewhere in the world might move us uh, to leave uh, uh, the uh, maybe the good and influential positions that we have here uh, to go and serve someplace where the walls are broken down. So, Lord, would you do that uh, in 
uh, our hearts and our lives. And would you give us confidence in the midst of all of this that your good hand is upon us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's confess our sins together uh, by using this uh, confession uh, that's uh, in our uh, bulletin, our worship guide. Pray with me. Almighty God, you are are full of grace and truth, but our our faith is weak, and we have have not understood your sovereign rule in our lives. We have have occupied ourselves with our own concerns instead of submitting to your word. We have sought our own glory instead of obeying your law. We have not waited to find your will for us. We have been given to the fear of man and rocked by uncertainty. We have not noticed the needs of others around us. We have not trusted your favor. Father, forgive us for our sins against you. Lord Jesus, lead us to follow you as Lord. Grant us by your Holy Spirit that your good hand might be upon us. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 